Support for Pivot comes from Vanta. When it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices, things can get complicated fast. Now, you can assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more with a single platform, and that platform is Vanta. Vanta's market-leading trust management platform helps you continuously monitor compliance alongside reporting and tracking risk. Plus, you can save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. To learn why thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection, unify risk management, and streamline security reviews, watch Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com slash pivot. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash pivot to watch Vanta's on-demand demo. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Scott Galloway. How you doing, Scott? Uh, I'm doing well. It's a beautiful, dry, yet cool day in the 60s here in Delray Beach. It's I an absolutely you. gorgeous day. It's, it's beautiful. Even. Had freezing rain the other day. But I'm more interested in the feud between DeSantis and Trump. I was reading about in the New York Times. I heard they're beefing down your way. Well, we knew that was coming. Every, every mm-hmm. morning, every mm-hmm. senator wakes up, Who's goes into the bathroom, looks into the mirror, and says, hello, Mr. President. They well, all want to be president. No one's, no one's going against him, but DeSantis. DeSantis is making a mean play, like, from the right, which is interesting. Right. The moment— Ted Cruz or Rand Paul or anyone mm-hmm. sees an opportunity uh, that might get him additional straw in Iowa, mm-hmm. they will start accusing him of assault, insurrection. I mean, this is – it really is true. The GOP and the senators there are all about um, – they're not about principles. Their only principle is political power. The other thing you're going to probably well, this see This is a governor. The, this isn't a senator. This is Governor DeSantis of Florida. But go ahead. But, but, okay, same, same. They're, mm-hmm. they're all, he, he is basically, DeSantis is running for president. Mm-hmm. And everything he does is about, not about the health or the well-being of the Commonwealth or its citizens down there in Florida. It's about how do I cater to the evangelical right in Iowa such that I can get momentum in Iowa. That, that's, and you know something that goes back to the larger macro problem here is the states that kind of determine the momentum for president mm-hmm. are much older and much wider than the rest of the nation. If the mm-hmm. first if the first elections were, or if the first primaries were held in Oregon and Mississippi, you'd have probably a different country. Yeah. You know, because everybody's looking at Iowa. Uh, yeah. They'll all start taking trips there, and they all start catering. Trump is an interesting ploy. We'll see. I don't know. Ann Coulter is sort you of the tip of the spear. I don't know. I don't know. I think people are weary of Trump, I have to say. They want to. They like. They like some of the messages, but they're tired of him. Mm-hmm. I think that mm-hmm. that really is a hundred percent true among people who like him. Anyway, but today we'll talk. It's an interesting story that's developing. They love to eat each other, but eventually they'll get together because that's what the Republicans do. They eventually coalesce. The, the one that we'll Democrats. have on our side, the interesting mm-hmm. warfare we'll have on our side, mm-hmm. will be between uh, Vice President Harris and Secretary Buttigieg. That's the one that'll start. They'll start going on background, uh, bad-mouthing each other in about 18 months. Okay. All right. Okay. Today, we'll talk about an alleged secret deal between Facebook and Google to deceive the ad industry and look at the new biggest deal in gaming history. And we'll talk to Peter S. Goodman about how billionaires are taking over the world, something we talk about a lot. But first, Mm -hmm. Peloton is turning up its price knob to the right. The company is tacking on new delivery fees for some of its products. It says price increases the result of inflation and supply chain issues and also employment issues. Uh, so tell tell what this is not probably good. Uh, they reported weak sales last November and lowered its full year outlook. Obviously, everyone got one during the pandemic that wanted to buy one, um, and now they're facing how to how to keep it going. This is a company both of us like quite a lot. Um, so, what do you think about that? 
I've just been shocked how inelastic price increases have been across the consumer board, mm -hmm. whether it's Netflix, uh, the companies I work with. Which raised its prices recently. Yeah, it, there really hasn't been much of an impact. There is so much money chasing. It's the perfect mm -hmm. storm. People have more money in their pockets than they've had in decades because uh, of stimulus, because of a strong economy, because they aren't going out. They aren't going to Disney World or the Red Onion. So you have... Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, inflation is a function of how much cash is is chasing how how many products, and you have a lot more cash, and then you have supply chain interruption, mm -hmm. and so it's the perfect storm for inflation. The reason why inflation might might uh, abate sooner or faster than it did in the seventies is in the seventies we had about double the union membership, and in almost every union contract were cola increases where. They got increases in their wages because of the cost, uh, any cost of living increases. So it was sort of an upward spiral. As inflation went up, their, their salaries went up, more cash, chasing fewer products. But if you look at Europe, which has the same, same supply chain problems but isn't incurring or registering the same level of inflation, it's because their stimulus hasn't been quite uh, as generous. So I actually think this will come back down. But um, just to pivot for a moment, I don't know if you saw the PPP program, which, and I'm patting myself on the back, but I called it a hate crime against future generations mm -hmm. about 18 months ago, $800 billion mm -hmm. to quote unquote saves, right. save the, the owner of the cupcake bakery. It ended up costing around $200,000 per job saved, and two thirds of it went to the wealthiest 20% households. This was nothing but the most regressive uh, giveaway uh, probably in history. It was just such cloud cover to absolutely line the pockets of rich people, and all of that is coming to light now. Anyways, a bit yeah. of a digression. All right, Pe Peloton raising price. I think it won't affect it. It's. I think that this company's got to get bought. These price, the numbers. Well, who, who, we've been saying that. Right? <laughs> I know, but look, look, Activision just got. We'll talk about that later. But I, everyone's yeah. going to get bought. Everyone's going to get bought. Everyone's going to get bought at this point. And then the FTC will have a lot and the Justice Department a lot on its hands. Um, people who are doing the buying, that the world's 10 richest men doubled their wealth since the onset of the pandemic, according to a report from Oxfam, which I may say I predicted at the beginning of the pandemic. The report mm -hmm. also found the inequality between nations will rise for the first time in 20 years due to the unequal access to vaccines. Oxfam says the wealthy group could pay just uh, could pay to vaccinate the entire world and more with just 99% windfall tax on their pandemic gains. Mm -hmm. This is incredible, this amount of money um, compared to 99% of the world's population who are worse off because of COVID. I mean, we've talked about this over and over again. And we're going to talk about it later today with Peter. Yeah, the, the fastest way, it's simple economics, the, the fastest way for the Southern Hemisphere to double their income would be to figure out a way to take the wealth away of the eighth wealthiest families in the world. And at yeah. some point, they figure it out. They elect nationalist leaders, or they do what happened in Central America over and over. They show up and say, you and your family have 24 hours to get out of here, and you can't take your money or your brewery or your factory with mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. uh, so at this point, I think it's become self-preservation. You know, They really need to start um, thinking about the the other thing I don't I just think it's so ridiculous is when Bernie or Senator Sanders go after billionaires and say pay your taxes and it's like it's like the NFL complaining about Tom Brady's behavior on the field it's like well you make the you make the rules yeah. I'd never understood Senators Warren and Sanders going after billionaires and saying they need to pay their taxes they are paying the taxes as written right. by them right so yes. it's like okay you don't want regressive taxes you don't want we've made a conscious decision they've been trying to change it be fair they've been trying to sh to, to put legislation well, okay. It They're ineffective. Well, yeah, that they is correct. They control all Not three houses, them. and they've been unable to. They just bark at the moon. Well, nobody wants that tax. The other they want it. But and show up with their flaccid dicks and then complain about not having good sex. I mean, it's just, <laughs> okay. for God's sake, do something. They well, control three houses. Well, in some cases, houses. they can't. Like, you can't. like, you can't. They can't get it passed. There's not enough support for it. Well, okay, I'm ineffective. Uh, I well, mean, they—, they Come the, on. The, it's legislation. These taxes are so regressive— yeah. And we, we have the Senate, we have the House, we have the White House, but we can't figure out a way to do away with these enormous tax deductions and complexity that are nothing. But it, and it's interesting, we've talked about this before. You know who gets really hurt here? There's a bit of a trope or a bit of a, a myth that uh, the poor pay a lot of taxes in usage and consumption taxes, but the mm -hmm. people who get really screwed here and, and people don't middle talk class. about it is the upper middle class. And mm -hmm. that is... Uh, yes, a lawyer you have a, talked about this, but go ahead. A yeah. lawyer and a chiropractor who make half a million or six hundred grand in California work their ass off, work their asses off, smart, successful, lucky, got good educations, making a fantastic living, make six hundred grand in California or New York. They're paying fifty-one percent in taxes. I'm aware. It's of not this. until it's not until it's the workhorses 
uh, you know, a lot of whom are our friends, quite frankly, who are successful, but make just enough to get taxed in the absolute highest tax rates, but don't make enough money to have millions of dollars to invest in real estate or stocks, yeah. where the tax rates plummet. Uh, anyways, tax reform is, I, I think, I, I'd like to think in the next presidential election, you're going to hear kind of the Herman Cain, Ross Perot flat tax idea again, because it yeah. would be very, it just yeah, makes a lot of sense. they definitely have to change it. I think it's much more difficult than you'd imagine. Um, in any case, they're richer than ever, and they're going to continue to be richer than ever until we get the correct tax system. In, in a lot of ways, you know, I, I just recently talked to Elizabeth Warren, and she was complaining about Elon, and I said, well, change the tax code. And, you know, exactly. he's following, I said, he's following what he can follow. And, and when he has to pay taxes, he does. When he doesn't, he doesn't. And if you're waiting for him to become a good citizen, well, good luck. You know, like here, let hand over the money. I said, it's the, he's following the laws you, as the, has have been written. Not that you wrote, but as have been written. Anyway, uh, fans of the One America News Network may have to find a new way to watch the far-right pro-Trump channel. DirecTV is dropping Rand Paul's favorite channel when its contract expires in April, which is a big deal. Lethal, in fact. 90% of OAN's funding comes from deals with DirecTV and other AT&T stations, according to testimony from an OAN executive in 2020. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. They're being deplatformed, so to speak, cable-wise. Um, so what do you think about this? They just they, they do this all the time, by the way. Cable stations do this all the time, or, or cable and different distributors do this all the time. They deplatform people. Companies. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I don't know if you saw, but Comcast just announced a deal to distribute CNN Plus because of all the new <laughs> announcements around talent. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's just you. It's not Chris Wallace. <laughs> no, no. It's not Chris Wallace. No. Let's be yeah. honest. He's a little yeah. bit intimidated. I feel for him. I he's feel for him. at all. He doesn't know uh, A little scared. He should, Again, he's, he doesn't he's, know who I will are. mentor him. I will coach him. If I texted him now, had, had I, I'd say, do you know Scott Gallo? He'd be like, who? This who? is what would come back. I'm going to get his cell number. I'm going to cell number. I'm gonna do that. They'd be Go like, ahead. oh, yeah, that's the guy that owns the Toyota franchises in Texas, right? <laughs> He'd think I, people always think I'm someone else. Yeah, you uh, are so. I always think you're someone else. They're like, but yeah. what, what do Anyways. we think of this? Just the, no, that's it is not what true. Rand Paul is you're like, you're like every woman in my life. You're hoping I'm going to become something else. Anyways. No, I don't really care what you become. Uh, uh, I'm not one of those ladies. Mm-mm. Anyways, um, uh, what were we talking about? Oh, the, oh, word, the network, O-A-N. AT&T. Whatever. I, yeah. who, you know. Who cares? I don't know. Yeah, AT&T wanted to divest themselves from this because they were getting a ton of shit for supporting yeah. a far-right network. My guess is this had more to do with ratings and money than any yeah, ideology. Wasn't. Yeah, they, they, they'll make way for like some whatever next cable network is coming that does better. That's all. Too bad. Nobody's watching you, OAN. That's what happened to you. I That's didn't even know happened. it. Did you know it? I don't, I don't, I'm like, what's yeah, OAN? Yeah, yeah, they scream and yell. My mother has it on sometimes. Really? Yeah, we'll see what the Why Trump watches yes. it. Oh, she watches mostly Fox, but she every now and then you'll see OAN on there or the other one, Newsmax. That's one she watches more. Whatever. Mm. In any case, they should have sold to the Trump Media and Technology Group. So maybe that's what's going to happen. Maybe they'll buy that. Maybe they will. Maybe they will. Maybe we'll they see will what's going. We're waiting for that supposedly uh, President's Day, but I don't think that's happening. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see if t- Trump puts up his social network so he can yell at Ron DeSantis. Anyway, time for our first big story. Uh, Google manipulated ad auctions to mislead advertisers and publishers, according to a newly unsealed lawsuit. Google allegedly pocketed the difference between what advertisers paid and what publishers received and used it to rig ad auctions in favor of its customers. State's attorneys general uh, say that shell game cut publishers' revenue by as much as 40 percent. The lawsuit also claims that Alphabet's Sundar Pichai and Mark Zuckerberg personally agreed to a deal that would let Facebook win auctions. Google and Meta both claim that everything was above board. So talk, talk, this is not an area I know a lot about. I mean, I do, but not the technicalities of it. So can you um, go into it? This is obviously the digital advertising industry. It's worth around $350 billion, which 80 to 90% is dominated by Alphabet, Meta, or Amazon. Um, pretty much Alphabet, Meta, Amazon's sort of a comer. Um, so talk about this. Talk about this idea. Yeah, so I, I I don't understand the plumbing of ad tech either, and uh, neither do 99% of the population, including our elected representatives, which plays to Facebook and Google's advantage and leads to Google being able to say, present to a Condé Nast or a Toyota, oh, this is, this is the cost on the other side. This is what yeah. someone is willing to give you an ad for. And it ends up that that's not true, that they yeah. were actually, uh, the people on the other end were selling it for a lot less money. That's just... Bottom or line it wasn't is that even like, there, or the network wasn't even there. Uber got caught in something like that, but go ahead. I mean, at the end of the day, and because because Google controls the supply, the demand, and the exchange in between, none of it is transparent. 
And essentially, I mean, as as charged, this is just blatant fraud. And then the mm-hmm. second suit or the second part of this, which I actually think is more relevant, mm-hmm. is they're accusing Google and Meta, or as I like to call them, Kalud. Facebook, um, uh, have <laughs> said, all right, there's two of us, two players, and we're going to coordinate and cooperate uh, in order to increase prices on the rest of the ecosystem. And just last week, we said the biggest tax cut in history would be if you had more than two players, because it's much di- more difficult for a thousand or five million players, i.e. Facebook advertisers, to bind together to do anything, including saying, stop putting out content that results in uh, self-harm among teens. But if you look at OPEC, the definition of a cartel is a group of players that bind together, cooperate, and coordinate to increase prices on everybody else. And that's illegal. And the reason why this is significant is one of the players involved. It says Facebook's CEO and COO and Google CEO. Mm-hmm. The fact that they're even in the same document as as um, mm-hmm. evidencing that they are cooperating. I mean, I remember when I was talking about, I used to get big brands together to talk about how to push back on Amazon. And big brands and big categories were always very reticent to even be in the same room together because of Mm -hmm. antitrust concerns. They didn't even want to have record that they were in the same room. And then you have the CEOs of these two companies, not only together, but sending emails saying, we need to cooperate on this and we need your sign off. And the reason why this is significant is not only because it's clearly colluding and cartel pricing, but the remedies for cartel pricing, Kara, are criminal. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing like uh, an SVP to start saying, I will provide you with really uh, 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 damning information with a lot of veracity and supporting evidence. There's nothing that gets someone providing that kind of evidence under the threat of jail. Because the threats right now so far have been civil and have been financial. And Facebook's like, everybody, don't worry about it. Just refuse to talk mm-hmm. to them. We'll lawyer you up. And we'll pay, we'll cover the one, five, $20 billion that might happen in three to five years. Don't worry about it. Get back to work. We're good. Continue to delay and obfuscate. But when someone shows up and says, hey, Bob, I think we can put you in prison, their loyalty to Meta and to Mark and Cheryl go right out the door. And so this Texas attorney general, who's supposedly a bit crazy, so to speak, this mm-hmm. cartel pricing case in Texas could end up being, Very you know, whatever, yeah. you know, the reason the reason why Al Capone was put in prison, right? It, this, the, I think this is a big deal. Granted, I've said this is a big deal about yep. 20 yes, times over the last they five years. It. I mean, what's, what's the problem is, is it's such a complex process. Now, this is a really great sentence from the Wall Street Journal. The way ads are bought and sold on the internet is a complex process in which Google plays an outsized role as both the participant in and manager of the auctions that determine sales, which should give you like, oh, this is a problem. Google owns the dominant tool at every link in the chain between online publishers and advertisers, giving it a unique power over the monetization of digital content. It also owns key platforms for reaching consumers, such as YouTube. So they've got everything. As a result, rivals mm-hmm. have complained the tech giant tilted the marker in their own favor, allowing it to win more bids and foreclose competition. The amended complaint in its unredacted details aimed to illuminate how it works in practice. You're right. Crazy, crazy Ken Paxton might be onto something, in other words, is what you're saying. He's the attorney general in Texas. Yeah, I think, look, I, I, I think I got to think that for the first time in a while, a lot of people who are senior at Meta and Google are getting their own personal counsel mm-hmm. because, because again, just criminal remedies are an entirely different ballgame. Yeah. And uh, th- th- these organizations so far have created this environment of, you know, keep it fast and loose. It's all about shareholder value. And don't worry, we can s- stare down and run over and pay uh, anything that ends up being a little bit on the wrong side of the law, this is an entirely different ballgame. So I, yeah. I think, you know, we'll see. Have you talked you see, to anybody? Also, or? Yeah, I mean, I think they're worried about this one. But what's interesting is I was talking to, there's a bill advancing in the Senate that would treat Google's search engine, you know, like a like a utility, essentially. Um, so it couldn't advantage its own products and services uh, for for its own platform. Um, so they may be forced to spin off DoubleClick, which is where this is from. Um, I do think the more interesting part is this: these deals between Mark and Sundar and Cheryl and Phil Schindler, who who was uh, who is uh, the chief business officer at uh, at uh, Google. Um, and of course, Cheryl used to work at Google, so there's that there's a very close relationship there. So um, so essentially, they're calling it for illegal price fixing. 
That's what they're they're talking about. That's that's essentially what they're talking about for people who, even though this seems super complex, um, but it's a question of the other part is not just how this system works, which feels very corrupt from the get the way it's set up, um, or has potential for problems. It's also uh, how how easily Google can manipulate prices and nobody knows, right? Doesn't say they're doing right. it. It's that it creates that situation. And the other part is that they own so much of it between them, Facebook and Google, that they they control the entire thing. And so if you're a publisher, this has got to be fantastic for you to start to un, unravel or at least get paid more by, you know, and by, and by the way, Google and Facebook are also taking your content and using it to advantage themselves too. So the whole thing is is this sort of fight between publishers and um and uh and and Google and then advertisers and Google and Facebook essentially because they also were you know Uber founded it wasted a hundred million dollars on advertising that wasn't going anywhere and that's another thing the over promising and under delivering of where things go or not being aware of where things go anyway Google is saying that they don't manipulate uh, auctions and they are trying to help publishers maximize ad sales but. This mm-hmm. is, I would say I'd be really interested in this case. I'll tell you that. The, and the what problem follows is, in Congress. The problem is the damage has been done. I mean, it's just when, when in 2008, I remember advocating to turn off Google. And I think if we could go back in time or at the New York Times, I, I think if we go back in time, we'd do it. But meanwhile, you know, so much money has been taken out of the ecosystem. So much money has, has, has mm-hmm. leaked they have been able to develop such incredible barriers, such IP, hire so many people, journalism, the number of journalists has been cut in half. Okay, in 10 years, you might get a check. It just doesn't, it doesn't matter. The enforcement mechanisms, yeah. the, the damage, the in my view, has been done. Price fixing is easier to prove if it's like a drugstore or something. You know what I mean? Like, they, But what, what's interesting here is some of the employees who came forward who, who, who were talking about that this was like insider trading. And that's what's interesting. If they can get to some of these employees' um, document site internal correspondence, in which Google employees said some of these practices amounted to growing its business through, quote, insider information. So that's where I, I'm sort of like, who are they talking to? And there's so many people to talk to. I, it would seem that they should, they need to simplify it and not make it this weird black box thing. But that um, there was one employee that said the program, quote, makes the auction untruthful as we determine the adex rev share after seeing mm-hmm. the buyer's bids, wrote Google employee in newly unredacted section of the complaint. The way it's set up already feels like it could, you know, it's sort of like when when Jeff Bezos was talking about that, oh, maybe we started doing business on batteries because we saw some information from the sales, from the retail side. Maybe we start, you know what I mean? Like something must have bled over because if you own the marketplace and have a marketplace, you're going to have corruption. I just don't see how it's, it's, it's unavoidable, it seems like, but that, I don't know. I just I hope something like comes of it. Yeah, something comes of it. All right, let's go on a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about Microsoft's biggest deal ever. And then we'll speak with a friend of Pivot, Peter S. Goodman, about what billionaires have done to the world. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Scott, we're back for our second big story, a correction. Last week, we talked about Take-Two Zynga acquisition as the biggest deal in games history. Well, 
That's no longer right, but it wasn't our mistake. Microsoft said it is trying or buying or it's trying to buy Activision Blizzard for more than $68 billion. That's not just gaming's biggest deal. That's Microsoft's biggest acquisition ever. I recently interviewed the guy who, who bought his company, uh, who, who, who had, who had been very tough on Activision Blizzard and then sort of walked it back during the interview, which now I see why. And so uh, he had been pretty aggressive when this all these allegations first came out. But uh, but there was also news that Kodak had fired or sidelined or, or, or disciplined a bunch of people involved in the sexual harassment stuff. Um, but it's quite complex. But nonetheless, this is gonna this is a big deal. The the shares are down thirty percent over the last twelve months. It's a very valuable company. I'm sure Microsoft saw an opportunity. Um, so what do you think about this? There's a lot here. The first is. Uh, the metaverse, the anchor yeah. of the metaverse is gaming. And we've yeah. been saying that for a long time. Which no the one CEO understands, of Microsoft noted, but go ahead. No one understands better how to take you into it. it. If you just want proof of this, try and get your 11-year-old out of the metaverse that he or she is yeah. in before dinner. Yeah. And you see that their brain is rewired. Agreed. They have their friends there. They're constantly, the only reason they're nice to you is they want your credit card to buy you know, more uh, a, a super laser cannon or something. And you just see the power of these, and they're constantly reinvesting in these things. They're great at it. It, it is the metaverse, and Microsoft overnight becomes one of the most credible players in "quote unquote" the metaverse. Mm -hmm. They're taking advantage of the other th interesting dynamic here is that when a company hits the rocks and comes off of what I'll call you know mutual hallucinogenic valuations and comes way down, someone steps in and says, "We should talk." I am sure Microsoft had approached uh, Activision before. Mm -hmm. And even with a 40% premium they're paying, it's, they're paying the same price where the stock was 12 was, months yeah. ago. Mm -hmm. And you predicted, and you're right, Pinterest will go because it's been hammered. And mm -hmm. Peloton is now 80% off. I mean, so these things are all in play because they're way off. But it, it'll be interesting. The, the suit with Google and Facebook or Meta is a gift to Microsoft because it'll probably divert the DOJ and the FTC from greater scrutiny. We'll see if this goes through. I don't know. But they just announced, they're announcing uh, today, I think, the DOJ and FTC uh, merger guidelines, more merger guidelines, uh, John Cantor and Lena Khan. And I happen to be talking to Lena Khan live, so I'm going to be asking her about this. Um, so, uh, who's the head of the FTC? So, I think they're, they are worried about all these mergers and so many of them happening and their inability yeah. to keep up. Uh, yeah. So, they're, they're going to outline new merger guidelines and, and things like that. So, I don't know. I think it's. Uh, we'll see if this gets through. This is pretty big. I. I have. I, they're going to have a. I think a rough. I think they're going to pick one, and this could be it, of the many mergers that are going through. This is pretty big, and it gives Microsoft obviously first party data, um, at which was the rationale behind Zynga and Take Two, um, the ability to do mobile. To, to you know, Microsoft's also a platform, right? It has the uh, Xbox platform, and now it's owning the games. It's sort of like. You know, Facebook owning Oculus and then owning the games doesn't leave a lot of room for other players and this and that. So there'll be all kinds of um, kinds of issues because they have Call of Duty, Candy Crush, Warcraft, World of Warcraft, Diablo, Overwatch, Hearthstone, none of which I've ever played. And it would make Microsoft only the third largest gaming company by revenue behind China's Tencent and Sony. Nonetheless, I'm sure small game developers will have problems with this, I'm guessing. Yeah, they also have Major League. Uh, gaming. But mm -hmm. I mean, you have, just to give you a sense of how powerful these titles are, let's just look at Call of Duty. So if you have a hit movie, I mean, a really big movie, like a tentpole iconic, mm -hmm. the whole world goes crazy over it. It, right. it might do $5 million a day in box office, mm -hmm. $150 million its first month, $300 million in its first 60 days, which sounds like a lot of time, but it's not. Call of Duty. Now imagine a movie. Imagine a movie that does the absolute opening weekend of a Marvel movie every day, forever. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's Call of Duty. Call of Duty yeah. does $5 million a day. And it doesn't, it doesn't go perishable and then go to Netflix and then go to you know, ABC late at night. It makes that money every day. These, mm -hmm. these video game companies, when they have these franchises, it's like having Avengers every goddamn day. Yeah, these things are so powerful. They They're are. such incredible money machines and p powerful franchises. And then when you when you talk about the curse of bigness, uh, which is the title of Tim Wu's book, Microsoft comes in and pays $70 billion to just take these incredible franchises that are the gift they keep on giving. And they're at $70 billion, and I think a two, they're going to take a 3 or 4% dilution. 
Yeah. I mean, it's just these companies are so big that they can acquire this company, and it and if it works great, they wrap up, they start to consolidate. And the other thing is Satya Nadella is just hoping that the good people at Meta continue to focus on the Oculus, and he'll just go vertical with content and games. I but don't know. and I we're think, I'm going to pat ourselves on the back. What did we say just literally a week ago? We said that the gaming sector was ground zero for the metaverse and was going to heat up. And what do you know? Yeah. Here you know. And you know this who's, one I wasn't who's expecting. Va- you know, his valuation went up 40% today, and disclosure, I'm an investor, is Epic. Oh, Epic, Epic is yeah, bigger. Sure. Fortnite is bigger than Call of Duty or Warcraft. Yep. yep, sure, Epic's a target. When Facebook and Google and Amazon all realize, if they realize, okay, we we oh. need to buy some insurance against, quote, unquote, the metaverse, and these these the most powerful part in media, the only thing that's growing Facebook, outside there's of no way There's no way Meta could buy Epic. Never happened. I agree. Never. I agree. I, at least I hope so. Uh, Although they'd love to because they're an enemy of Apple, which is blah, 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 blah. Anyway, this is a big deal. The biggest It'll- IPO of 2022, if not, mm-hmm. if it goes out, will be epic. I mean, the gaming, there are so few players left now. Yeah. And this is really, it's so I don't, powerful. I think the, I'm going to add, this is my first question for Lena Khan. You don't think it's going to go through? I, they've got to they've got to put their foot down somewhere. I'm I'm eager to see what the guidelines they announced today are. Um, but between the Justice Department and them, but mergers are out of freaking control, from what I understand from regulators. It's just they don't have. It's just over the transom, over the transom. The money is everywhere, and they can't. They have to. They have to put their foot down somewhere. And I don't know if it's here or not. Um, it would certainly would solve all of uh, Activision's problems around sexual harassment. Microsoft has, by the way, FYI. As mm-hmm. you remember, a couple of years ago, and and um, uh, Phil Spencer, who runs uh, Xbox, who is going to be Bobby Kotick's boss, he he talked about it a little bit about the issues they had at their company, uh, including a st- if you remember at CES, some strippers or this and that. They they, they had their own sexual issue, sexual what, whatever. I'm sorry, C- CES and strippers that happened. I know, but in you Vegas? can't do it at a. It's a long story. They shouldn't have been done. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't have been doing it at a party. Anyway, it was a business party. Anyhow, nonetheless, they have had their own issues. They, mm-hmm. um, uh, it'll it'll be it'll solve a lot of problems for everybody. But I think the government's going to get in the way of this. That's my feeling. But I'm going to ask. I'll ask Lena Khan. She's not going to be able to say. But still, nonetheless. But so consolidation, rich, so much richness, so much money, so many people, so rich is what we've been talking about. Not that we don't mm. love capitalism, but it's an interesting issue. I was just going to say perception Perception is so important here because people freaked out and we're talking about Amazon's acquisition of MGM UA. That was $5 mm, billion, dollars, but everyone talks about Ugh. it because it's it's James Bond. This is yeah. $75 billion. This is <laughs> nothing. They, if they're focused on that and not this, they're crazy. That's yeah, exactly right. Anyway, let's bring in our friend of Pivot to talk about all this bigness. Peter S. Goodman. Peter is a global economics correspondent for the New York Times and author of a perfectly named book, Davos Man, How Billionaires Devoured the World. Uh, Welcome, Peter. Hey, guys. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. So I guess the first question is, define, I know what Davos Man is, and I cannot stand Davos Man, but talk about who he is and why he's eating everything. Like, why he's such a greedy, horrible person. But go ahead. Well, the term was coined back in 2004 by the political scientist Samuel Huntington, and he used it to refer to people who go to the World Economic Forum in Davos. But it Mm -hmm. quickly became this kind of catch-all for billionaires who write the rules for the rest of us, whose finances are so complicated that they stretch across jurisdictions, which limits their uh, 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 which limits their sense of identity by nation. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're really just devoted to the bottom line. But it, what's most important to understand about Davos Man and what I argue in the book uh, is that he's not like the robber barons. You know, he's not content to just own everything and have his name on buildings. He wants us to actually laud him for saving us all. I mean, if you look mm-hmm. at somebody like, you know, Mark Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce, who literally mm-hmm. said at Davos last year, CEOs are the heroes of the pandemic. You know, without mm-hmm. us, we wouldn't have vaccines. We wouldn't have loans. We wouldn't have rescue programs. We wouldn't have anything. Government 
didn't do the job. We saved you, which was, you know, an incredible thing to hear from someone who, first of all, was riding out the pandemic at his uh, oceanfront mansion in Hawaii or maybe his $28 million residence in San Francisco, mm -hmm. somebody who's paid z you know, zero in taxes on billions of dollars in income, which is, you know, part of why we all need saving from somebody because the government has essentially been pillaged by Davos man. Okay, I'm going to push back a little bit on Mark because I do think he's done a lot more stuff, but I agree he shouldn't be taking credit all over the place, which he tends to do in some places. But let me just ask you this idea of, uh, we, we had just talked about, and something I had written about quite a lot, is that the richest people in the world have doubled their wealth since the onset of the pandemic, and the richest companies have tripled, I think, in value or something like that. What Talk about why this is a, a dangerous thing, because I think one of the things is what billionaires and other wealthy people push back on is we made this money, we created these companies, whether it's Mark or the other Mark or or any of them or the Jeffs, et cetera, et cetera. What, what, what is wrong with them doing that? What is the, explain the danger other than they have nice yachts. Like, I don't care if well, they have nice yachts. Look, there's nothing terrible about people making money. In fact, we should praise people make money on the strength of good ideas and hard work. Uh, and we live in a capitalist society and some people are going to make out uh, handsomely mm -hmm. and some people are going to do less well. That's fine. The question is, first of all, how do people do who need some help? Uh, and are there resources for people who need some help? And do we have ways to ensure that the bounty of capitalism is spread evenly enough that we have a system that can function when there's something like a pandemic, when people lose jobs, when we're adjusting to changes in, in geopolitical events, to trade patterns? And, you know, what's astonishing about this, this statement from Benioff, and he's not alone. I mean, the, the people who go to Davos are full of, you know, their, mm -hmm. their sense of, you know, they're committed to improving the state of the world. I mean, you have all these panel discussions about yes, I've uh, been there. inequality. Yeah, I mean, yeah. anybody who's been there comes away with the sense that you're sort of participating in this incredible charade where we pretend that it's some sort of mystery that there's all this inequality. And we talk about, you know, automation. We talk about uh, globalization as if these are forces that are bigger than we can control. And, and we almost never talk about things like taxation. I mean, in fact, you know, a few years ago, you probably remember Rutger Bregman. Yes, this, I interviewed uh, Young Dutch academic who kind of titillated everyone by saying, how come you're not talking about taxation? This is this is like going to a firefighters convention and nobody can talk about water. Uh, and, you know, people like Benioff, they they talk about all of the good that they do. I mean, Mark, for instance, will tell you that he uh, pulled his strings in China to find 50 million pieces of PPE during the first wave of the pandemic. Hey, that was terrific. But it's worth asking, like, why are we dependent upon a software guy in Silicon Valley to outfit our frontline medical workers uh, with safety gear in the middle of a pandemic? And why well, are we... Be, that would be the government's problem, not Mark's, right? I, I would presumably, correct? Yeah, but it's... the government's problem is connected to how Mark operates because the biggest differentiator between the U.S. economy and every other wealthy economy is that wealthy people don't pay taxes. And, you know, where does Mark, where does the rest of Silicon Valley get their engineers? I mean, they come from higher education institutions that depend upon tax revenues for financing. They use roads. They use the electrical grid. They use uh, the Internet. I mean, all all of these pieces of infrastructure get paid for by taxes. And if we don't if we don't tax wealthy people, then the government just simply doesn't have the wherewithal to to take care of 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 our needs. So, you know, Mark and other Davos men will tell you that they're giving back through philanthropy. But that's that's just a fraction of what's what's required to, to finance the needs of our of our nation. Uh, first off, Peter, you have a great voice. You should do a podcast. <laughs> you have a really good voice. Thank you. Um, Delighted. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Be careful what's coming. But go ahead. Uh, that was so I think you're being heavy-handed with the wrong guys. I, I think every pro – I agree with every problem. We shouldn't have a regressive tax system that allows, once people get into the outer orbit of wealth, to just pull away from everybody and aggregate hundreds of billions of dollars with lower tax rates. But I think it's your fault, and I think it's my fault, and I think it's Kara's fault. We elect senators who've been ineffective at taxing these individuals. And uh, I would argue that we would be doing the same thing. I guess the question is, you know, isn't it our fault that we don't elect people that have the backbone to implement what was at one point a progressive tax policy? And I've been to Davos three times, uh, and this is the second thing. I, I think it's easy to be cynical about it. 
they make an effort to reach out to nonprofits. They make an effort to reach out to younger people to come talk about technology. That's why I was there. They invited that economist back who got in their face. It's important that people speak to each other. I think it's easy to be very cynical about it, but net-net, I actually think getting people together to discuss these issues is a is a good thing. So I'll start with, okay, what do you want to change here and whose fault is it? What are you asking Mark to do? I think Mark is up for change. I think he's concerned about the same issues you are. Yeah, Mark is up for change, but one of the changes Mark's up for is, you know, through his participation in the business roundtable, which played a central mm -hmm. role in delivering the Trump tax cuts, $1.5 trillion worth of tax cuts that were mostly lavished on people like Mark Benioff and other billionaires. You know, it, yep. it's not like some Fair sort point. of accident that the people who are in Washington are doing the bidding of people like Mark Benioff. These, these issues are, I mean, I don't know how many lobbyists you employ, Scott. Like, I, I employ zero. Uh, Amazon's got 100 in Washington, D.C. Kara's sons are my lobbyists. You're taking yeah. my lines. But isn't that Citizens United? Isn't that, again, voters, don't we have an obligation to, to fix the problem? They're hate, in other words, I think you're hating the players, not the game. And, and you got to say, well, all right, has Washington been overrun by rich people or have we, is it our idolatry of rich people that lets them get away with this? Haven't we decided that they're better than us and we should tax them at a lower rate? Well, it's not us deciding, though. I mean, yep. it's the people yep. who are actually running the system. I mean, yeah, we love yep. our, you know, billionaire porn. We like succession. We love to yep. watch Silicon Valley. Yep. I mean, this is all very 100%. entertaining. But, you know, it's not simply, the, I mean, the artifice of Davos Mm -hmm. Yeah, we can all see through the PR. We can all see through the the irony that the these people are going to the mountaintop who own all the money mm -hmm. and can pull all the strings in, in in government. But the important thing to understand is that their worldview has saturated the popular imagination. So I mean, I think your mm -hmm. point underscores that. This this idea that, you know, it's it's the public's fault. The public has to elect the people, as if the public isn't just, you know, a bunch of like small incohate players on a field that is dominated by the very players that you're saying, you know, we should mm -hmm. give a pass to. I mean, these are the people who actually have the money and have the tools to pull the levers in our democracy. But the other thing is I think, you know, we've accepted very passively these ideas that also have not come by accident, that we can either live in a world where people like Benioff and Jamie Dimon Diamond and Jeff Bezos harvest all the winnings of capitalism, and then we get yeah. Uber and Google and COVID vaccines, or we can be Venezuela. Like, like these are the two binary choices. And Agreed. I mean, there's no reason why we yeah. can't have innovation and we can't have incredible uh, developments like COVID vaccines, and also have some rules that in that ensure that people are paying their fair share. Or just return to the '80s with a radical idea that there was no capital gains tax deduction, that it was just all income. So talk about that. Talk about the solutions, because, you know, I, I think Davos aside, I, I I went once and I felt like it was rich people licking each other up and down all day, and I felt like I didn't right. need to see that necessarily. But what, talk about what could actually happen. I just recently interviewed Elizabeth Warren about the wealth tax, which is going nowhere, which was her idea. So what could happen? What has to happen to make this change, to create an Obviously, our government regulators have got to move in and deal with large consolidation, which we just were talking about with right. just today, the latest is Activision being bought by Microsoft, et cetera, et cetera. That's one area. The other area is taxation. And 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 Warren can't get this passed or neither can Sanders. They just can't. And they get attacked by Elon or whoever calling them Karens or whatever they say on Twitter. Right. Who they I could think they could care less. But how do you, what has to happen? Is Does there have to be a wealth tax? What what occurs I mean, the to make a change? I mean, the pretty simple. Uh, it's the execution that you quite rightly point out is really difficult because we're trying to reform a system that is controlled by the people who benefit from not reforming it. That's mm -hmm. uh, a pretty big problem when you think about it. We've done it. that before. We've done that before. Well, we have, I mean, that's the hardening part. We have done that before. I mean, the robber barons were taken care of by the construction of a whole uh, series of reforms. We had antitrust enforcement. We broke up companies mm -hmm. that were clearly monopolies that were behaving in predatory okay. fashion. We yep. did get progressive tax. Taxation. We did get a social safety net. The Nordic economies are largely structured this way. Yes, I think we do need a wealth tax for the simple reason that that's where the money is. I mean, Jeff Bezos makes about what an elementary school teacher in California makes. If you go by income, 
Jeff Bezos is going to pay a much smaller portion of his wealth than that elementary school teacher. And mm-hmm. uh, we've got, we're talking about people who have legions of accountants, legions of lawyers who write the loopholes into the tax code and then I- exploit them. The wealth tax is the neatest, cleanest way to come up with a big chunk of money that we can use for all sorts of social needs from, from infrastructure uh, to education. We do need to enforce antitrust. Like? What, what would that look like? And what about their argument that why would we give more money to the government, which just messes it up when we're so efficient? That's one of their other, we're better at allocating capital than they are. Well, I mean, that's the standard playbook for how yes. you protect yourself from from redistribution, right? It's like you sabotage the thing that you don't want to finance by withholding your finance. And then when it doesn't work, you say, look, it doesn't work. We shouldn't pay anything at all. I mean, this is the story of America going back to the 1980s and the, and the Reagan tax revolt. Government is far from perfect. Government can be inefficient. Government can be full of corruption. Like that's just part of life. Uh, but, but our, our basic needs, we can't depend upon, you know, the beneficence of people like Mark Benioff and Larry Fink to, to fix all of our problems through things like stakeholder capitalism, which they mm-hmm. talk about incessantly in places like Davos. I mean, Klaus Schwab, who runs Davos, who founded it, has literally written books about stakeholder capitalism. Meanwhile, runs the World Economic Forum like a Chinese state-owned enterprise. You know, he's yeah, he's using his own. He's using the fun, the forums funds as a venture capital uh, artery for his own uh, private. You should see the headquarters. F- it feels like a bomb lair. I mean, they must yeah. have spent six. They're a nonprofit, and it feels like yeah. it feels like a spaceship in the sky. Doesn't his name sound like a Bond villain too? And Gosh. he walks around telling people that, you know, he's going to win a Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, I mean, he, yeah. he demands so, to be, So what you know, would you have them do? Would you have them? They like, rich people like to gather. You know, I have, I run a conference where rich people like to gather at, although I'm meaner to them than Klaus Schwab is, for sure. I don't sort of like them up and down. But nonetheless. His next how, book, how, Code Woman, <laughs> Code Man. <laughs> Code woman, woman. Um, but what do you? What do you? T- how do you create a dialogue to get something done? Why would they, in any way, not want to strafe Elizabeth Warren, calling her Senator Karen, or the mother who screams at friends, or or attack Bernie Sanders, or attack anybody who is actually Amy Klobuchar has written an entire giant book you could kill a poodle with about antitrust. It just doesn't stick in the American imagination at all compared to you know, any of these characters. Sure. I mean, you could say the same thing about climate change, but what do we do mm-hmm. then? Do we just give mm-hmm. up? Do we do we just accept no, that we're going to live no, in a world No, but I'd like to know what you think. Davos, they, if if you, you had to pick the three things that have to happen, what would they be? Progressive taxation led by a mm-hmm. wealth tax, antitrust enforcement, uh, and significant uh, scrutiny of foreign tax shelters, and that has to that has to work in conjunction with other countries. And I would add, you know, we need to reorient international trade. I mean, we need to embrace trade. Trade is very is wealth enhancing. It's it's progressive ultimately, but it's been dominated by people like Jeff Bezos, you know, who makes enough money to blast himself into space while he's depriving his own warehouse workers of protective gear in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, and, well, he did and we thank them. He did thank them. You guys paid for all this. <laughs> yes, he did. Yeah, that was very yes. moving. And and yeah, we need yeah. to boost the power of labor. Uh, yeah. I mean, Larry Fink is out with his latest uh, stakeholder capitalism letter. Uh, all these scribes, you know, breathlessly dissecting it as like words from the Oracle. I mean, sta- the stakeholder that always gets left out is labor. Like labor needs to be able to actually bargain uh, and not just yeah. depend upon the largesse of of people like Benioff. I mean, ben, you know, Benioff is a guy who who got ink uh, early in the pandemic for this 90 day no layoff pledge goes on Kramer's Mad Men. Kramer, you know, almost has a seizure thanking him for his visionary commitment to humanity. Oh, my goodness. This just proves that the stakeholders are ruling now. And, you know, the next day. Benioff uh, quietly lets lets it known that a thousand people are losing their jobs at Salesforce after the ninety day pledge expires. We just have to get over counting on these guys to save us. These guys work for themselves. They work for shareholders. They're very good at it. There's no shame in that. Uh, they've produced a lot of incredible creations, and we sh- we should we should be grateful for that. I mean, I- I'm not I'm not here to demonize 
uh, tech CEOs or, or any CEOs. And, and actually, Scott, you know, I'll take your point. Like the public has to do its job by getting over the, the propaganda that Davos man is putting out there for us, uh, inviting mm-hmm. us to invest in their goodness as the solution to life's problems. Life's problems are going to be solved by people exercising democracy. And that happens through taxation and yeah, trust and good government and boosting the power mm-hmm. of labor. Yeah, and right, stop Scott, this read against question? government. Well, we've already. I, 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 the notion that one per, the top one percent have captured all of the gains the last thirty years. There's just something wrong with that. I think there's a lot of common ground here. I think most people would agree with a lot of what you're saying. It goes to the the remedies, and uh, so let's talk about that. My sense is looking at economic history that wealth taxes don't work because France implements a wealth tax, and the wealthiest man in Europe moves to Belgium. That wealth is the most mobile. Mm-hmm. Wealthy people are the most mobile people in the world. Why wouldn't we just go back to, and I think you're saying this, a system that Reagan proposed where there's just income. There isn't righteous income, quote unquote, capital gains that gets taxed at a lower rate, whereas for some reason we've decided the money that sweat makes is less noble than the money that money makes. And doesn't all of this at the end of the day and your good arguments reverse engineer to getting money out of politics, uh, Citizens United, that until I read somewhere that on average, every billionaire speaks to their respective senator once every 30 days. And they're not calling for their advice. They're calling for their money. That until we get, and we're really the only nation that's, or advanced nation that's let money overrun. Doesn't it all kind of reverse engineer to that one place, money and politics? I don't think it all comes down to that, but yeah, for sure. That's the lever that they're able to pull. But, you know, I want to push back on this idea that, oh, wealth taxes haven't worked in Europe. Wealth taxes have been eliminated in Europe. Uh, in France, mm-hmm. I mean, Macron, who is who I call a Davos man enabler, you know, having, mm-hmm. you know, spent millions of dollars to uh, upgrade the pool at his residence to increase uh, the 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 quality of the China. You spent, you know, tens of thousands of euros on haircuts, you know, then slashed oh, wealth taxes. He's, at the, he's, he's a handsome the man. Guy has he to needs the haircut. <laughs> the guy you has two, to look good. You two are well, jealous of on. his. So, you can't look like this? the governor's mansion in Tennessee. It just has. To so, look, it has to look stylish. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Peter. Sorry. Yeah. Every American has a crush on Macron, you know. But yeah. and, and I mean, look, Dreamy. Macron has actually uh, done a lot of good. But one thing he mm-hmm. did that was not good was he he eliminated wealth taxes just as he increased gas taxes on every working mm-hmm. person who yeah. happens to live outside Paris. And this yeah. made people irate, and it reinforced the idea that the system just doesn't work. So, you know, that's one that goes in the other direction. But it's a question of the mechanics. Like in some countries, like Spain, I think, you know, the wealth tax mm-hmm. was set so low that you could be, you know, the widow of a butcher with no income at all, and you're living in the same apartment you've lived in in Barcelona for 50 years, and it's suddenly worth more than the wealth tax, and now you have to sell it to pay the wealth tax. Well, that's crazy. I mean, if we have wealth taxes at some level like, you know, $500 million, I don't think Steve Schwartzman, who's worth more than $18 billion, is going to have to sell much of his modern art collection in order to afford to be able to pay the wealth tax. And, you know, if we want to indulge the propaganda of the Davos men trying to kill this, like, oh, it's impossible to value, you know, uh, how do you value mm-hmm. a Picasso? Yes. How do you value, you know, eight cases of aged Bordeaux? Well, first of all, they do value those things. They're sold at auctions mm-hmm. all the time. Secondly, Nick Hanauer, who's a billionaire who actually favors wealth taxes, came up with an, a, a wonderful idea. You want to value your Maserati at five bucks? Okay, then the government has the right to call BS on that and take your Maserati and auction it up. Uh, I mean, that's that's a simple way to to put this to the test. It's It's mm-hmm. a simple matter of fairness. I mean, if people don't believe in the system, then it's impossible to govern. And right now, people mm-hmm. don't believe in the system because they can see that it's rigged. Yeah, it's really interesting. When I talk to any of the billionaires, they get crazy about this. They're like, this would take all my money. Um, they're convinced of it. They're, that, it's, it that, that they don't understand math and this, was, this will push down innovation. And, I, you know, even though I know you say it's PR, they believe it. They really, truly believe they mm-hmm. made their money. They deserve it and that they're the better allocators of capital. And and even though it sounds like PR, they actually, in their heart of hearts, believe it. Oh, I and, couldn't and, agree with that and more. And are terrified of someone like Elizabeth Warren. When Mark Zuckerberg called her an existential threat over, like, everything else, that was a tell as far. I don't think that was PR. I think he actually believes it. 
Oh, I think you're right about that, Kara. And I actually think, I mean, one of the things people don't understand about Davos, I mean, I think the public that gets exposed to it a little bit says, come on, we can all see through this. This is ridiculous. That's not the point. It's not that we're all supposed to see these guys sitting on the mountaintop promising to solve, you know, gender inequality and racism and climate change and knowing that then they're going to go back and cater to the shareholders. It's that they believe it. They leave fired up. That, you know, oh, I read Mark Benioff's book. I can do well and do good at the same time. I mean, it gives them the power. These are the stories that they tell themselves. So they then they can go about their lives and say absurd things like, you know, Benioff said uh, sometime last year, we're all one. We're united by this virus that cuts across. It, it, it tells us that there's illusion to our borders. Borders are in our minds. I mean, come on, you're sitting in Hawaii looking at the ocean. There are people in slaughterhouses who can't do their jobs by Zoom. Uh, there are people who are stuck at very real borders, by the way, uh, with ICE using Salesforce software to enforce those very real borders, putting more money in Benioff's pocket. I think you're right. I think this narrative that we're the good guys and and it's it's not fair. You know, people are I mean, Jamie Dimon said, you know, it really hurt his feelings, you know, when when people attacked him for not paying enough in taxes to the government. Steve Schwartzman, you know, at one point likened taxation to Hitler invading Poland and then had to walk that back when that didn't go over so well. I, I think this is a very real part of their identity and it's what strengthens them for the fight that they're very good at waging to prevent democracy from realizing the aspirations of the mass of the people. Well, this is certainly going to cause a lot of talk, Peter. I'm sure of it. Have you been, how many times have you been to Davos? I've just been once as a wife of. I've been nine times. Nine. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah. I always have to take a shower at the end. Of oh every man. Day. There's oh, a come moment on. where you, you need better, you humanity. need better boogeyman than Mark Benioff. Have you looked at these crypto guys or the Silicon? Yeah, the anyway, I think guy. you need better. You need better boogeyman than, than Benioff. Actually, uh, I walked and, into a, an NFT conference in uh, yeah. in, in the city the other day, and that kind of blew my mind. Yeah. And by the yeah, way, you, brother, you you're, you're, you're Davos, man. You've been there nine times. Nine times? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. You're the D-man. Peter Goodman with man. the dreamy voice. D-man. Yeah, yeah. I Did you go to Davos, Scott? Have you been to Davos? I've been there three times, yeah. Oh, wow. I got invited when I was 34. I got invited back twice. Oh, you were global leader back, of tomorrow's so yesterday or whatever? Did you get one of yeah. those things? Global yeah. leader, the global global leaders of tomorrow, as I refer to us, douchebags. Yeah, Anyways, yeah. My ex-wife was one of those, and I went as a wife of, so I didn't have to go as a press person. And I got to go to all the good stuff because I was like plus one, essentially. And the only way I could get in, basically. Um, and so I was in the coffee break room. I'll never forget this. And there was a woman getting coffee, and I was like, what do you do? And she's like, I'm the prime minister of Latvia. And I'm like, that's Wait, a good I have, job. I literally went, I have a, that's, that's a good job. That's a good wow, job. Wow, cool. I have and a similar like, job. Yeah. They have shitty hotels because, you know, Bill Gates and, and George Soros are the only one nice hotel. So it's all these, like, bad chalets. And I went downstairs to grab a drink. I was so jet lagged. Mm -hmm. And I sat down, and the guy next to me was Yasser Arafat. And the guy on the right of me was Warren Beatty. And I'm like, fuck, I'm hallucinating. That's no. amazing. The yeah. first time I was there, I stayed in some kind of chalet where you had to share a bathroom with like 25 other people. You're yeah. spending like $400 a night. I stupidly right. drove a car there and had mm -hmm. to like back it up this steep icy hill and then it didn't move for the entire time that I was there. And then you spend your whole time just being sort of like confused. You're slipping on the ice. like, And you realize that's kind of the experience for just about everyone, except maybe for the Prime Minister of Latvia and, and Warren Beatty. She was very nice. Let me just say, she's a very nice lady. Anyhow, um, I think it was the Premier or the Prime Minister. I don't really Riga know. Riga is a great party town. Whatever. Anyway, this is going to cause a lot of conversation. We do. We think you should focus on. We have a list of others you might want to focus on uh, compared Serve to. Serve them up. Serve them up. Yeah. All right. This is uh, Davos Man uh, by Peter Goodman from the New York Times. Uh, how billionaires devoured the world, and they're as uh, and they're they're still doing it every day. Anyway, thank you so much, Peter. Thanks, Peter. Nice to meet you. Thank you guys for your great questions. Well, that was fascinating. Of course, let's just be clear: Salesforce is a sponsor of ours, but that's okay. Mark can take it. Yeah. All right, uh, Scott. One it. more quick break. We'll be back for wins and fails. Support for this show comes from the Harvard Business Review. 
You know, there's this idea in business that some people are born to be leaders. You either have it or you don't. But leadership, like any skill, can and should be learned over time. Whether you've climbed to the top of the corporate ladder or are just starting out, you'll find valuable insights at Harvard Business Review. Harvard Business Review is a leading destination for smart management thinking. And on their website, hbr.org, subscriptions are just $10 a month, which gives you unlimited access to the same level of expertise. Things like case studies, newsletters, podcasts, articles written by some of the world's top minds. I use HBR in my research when I do articles or when I'm thinking about what to talk about on Pivot. I find them really interesting. I find them complete. I find them different. And you can find all kinds of industries covered. While much of Harvard Business Review's content is available for free after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at only $10 a month. What a bargain. Go to hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter the promo code PIVOT right now to get 10% off your subscription. Again, save 10% off your HBR subscription. Go to hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter the promo code PIVOT. Okay, Scott, wins and fails. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, do you have any this week? I do. I have a win. Let me oh, just say great. Encanto, which is now uh, oh, you like, you streaming. That, huh? that If you saw the very good New York Times piece about mm-hmm. Bruno, no, no, no. Uh, we don't talk about Bruno. We don't talk about Bruno, no, no, no. What an amazing song. It's topping the charts, all the songs on. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. It is a wonderful we the golden child watched it this weekend with us. I, mm-hmm. I was it's delightful. It is not frozen, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. It's delightful. It's beautiful. It's heartfelt. Uh, uh, Lin Manuel Miranda, of course, wrote the original music. Um, the songs are catchy. They're earworms. It's beautifully done. Uh, the it's all it, it's just wonderful. I can't even I can't say enough about the movie. It was it's fantastic. Everything about yeah, it's it. getting a lot of. Um coverage because it didn't do well at the box office. And they say that Spotify and TikTok have kind of breathed yep. new life into in it. In streaming. It's really, yeah. it's killing it in streaming, apparently, yeah. and across the music thing. That's right. The people are doing TikToks of, of, of uh, especially, we don't talk about Bruno, but some of the other songs, uh, there's one called Surface mm-hmm. Pressure, uh, all the depiction. It's just, it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's such a beautiful movie. I couldn't recommend it enough. And you will get that one song. And and again, the Times did a great piece about how they created it and did the dancing around it. And and a lot of technology mm-hmm. involved, obviously, in how they depicted the dancing and, and then translated it to uh, animation. Um, just fantastic. Yeah, fantastic on every front. Okay, that's it. Nice. Uh, so I have a couple wins. I don't have a fail. My first win is it's the one year. It's almost the one year anniversary of Biden's inauguration, and I think that actually twelve months in, we have two thirds of America is vaccinated. I think that the. I, I don't think we do a good job. I, I think President Biden's team has done a really terrible job of messaging, and it might be just a function of the environment that you're in that you can't ever message well if you're the president, but. I think if you look at the state of America where it was a year ago, um, I think the world uh, is a better place. I think America is a better place. I think we've started to reattach to some of our allies. Two-thirds of America is vaccinated for the first time in 40 years. Labor appears to have some of the leverage and pricing power that uh, Peter was talking about. Um, The economy is absolutely on fire. Uh, And I think that there's I think the temperature has come down a little bit. I wouldn't say a lot, but I think that he surrounded himself with competent people. It's not, you know, the free leader of the world isn't in the business of gaslighting anymore. So I, you know, look, um, record, you know, vaccinations. I'd like to think that at some point for the vaccinated, the virus is going endemic. The economy is on fire. We've had the greatest reduction in childhood poverty that we've ever seen. People don't talk enough about that. Uh, so, look, my win is the first year of the Biden administration. I don't think it gets wow, the credit it that's deserves. that's against everybody else's sort no, of, I, as you know, I'm just saying. Don't let the narrative define your viewpoint. Um, fair point, fair point. And, uh, and my other win is, uh, and this is just so up my alley, is Ricky Gervais's uh, final season three of Afterlife. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's about a depressed guy with a dog. So I kind of relate to this. It's like looking in a mirror watching the program, but... It's really about relationships, and uh, everybody's got to have a code. And I think Ricky Gervais's code is obviously atheism, but I think it's very empowering and liberating. It talks a lot about relationships and the finite nature of life. 
I thought it was a very powerful piece of work. I've, I've literally binged the whole thing last night, and I'm kind of like just waylaid by it emotionally. I think it's a very powerful piece if you think a lot about if you've lost somebody or you think about you think about, you know, what it means to be here. And uh, I, I think it was really powerful. I have a lot of, I find, you know, comedians play such an iconic role in our society in terms of creating the narrative. And his view of of afterlife or specifically not believing in afterlife. Uh, and it's just, some of it is just so fucking cringeworthy and funny. I mean, he literally takes the most sensitive, gross topics and just says, I'm going to triple click on that. Anyways, I thought it was a wonderful piece of um, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of media, uh, Ricky Gervais's Afterlife season three. I thought it was wonderful. Um, I'd actually like, I don't know if you, li- I doubt he listens to this, but if he listens to this, I would love to have him on my CNN Plus show to talk about uh, a variety of things. Anyways, my wins are the first year of the Biden administration and Ricky Gervais's season three of Afterlife. What about fails? I don't have any fails today. I'm depressed, so I don't want to go further down. (laughs) I don't want to go down that rapid hall. All right. Okay. Totally waylaid by that show. All right. Well, then that's good. That's let's not have a negative. Then let's not have a fail. All right. I actually have a fail. I think we. I'm watching the political stuff starting to get coverage, and this. As much as I read all those stories, like the Trump versus. uh, DeSantis, I think it's so distracting from what's actually happening, um, and that uh, that we will that, that political coverage has got to get a lot more nuanced going forward instead of this us versus them mentality. It's so complicated, and meanwhile, they're doing all kinds of hijinks together in violent agreement with each other. And so, I think one of the things we have to pay attention to is not not doing the typical entertainment coverage of politics. It's very mm-hmm. critical this year not to do so. And so I was like, I can't believe I'm reading this. And then I was reading it. And so I'd like it to be much more complicated than who's up and who's down. I really would. It just doesn't change. It doesn't seem to change. So maybe I should stop reading it. Anyhow, that would be my negative. All right, Scott, uh, on Friday, we'll take a listener question. So send us a good one. Go to nymag.com slash pivot and ask away. That is the show. We'll be back on Friday for more. We did this special show, even despite the holiday. We, we're, we're releasing a day late. Um, but we'll be back on Friday, as usual, for more. Scott, read us out. Today's show is produced by Lara Name and Evan Engel and Taylor Griffin. Ernie Nitratat engineered this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or, frankly, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back later this week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. MLK said something along the lines of there's a special place in hell for people who are indifferent. Don't sit on the sidelines. If you're upset about some of the stuff you hear about here or elsewhere, do something. Your time, your treasure, your talent.